This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And my guest, he, he almost is a regular. I think, <laughs> I, I think we have to create a new category for you, is Dr. Glenn Kreider, who uh, is professor in systematic theology here at the seminary. Glenn, we thank you for coming in. Thanks, Daryl. And our topic is we're in the midst of a series on world religions, and the subcategory that we're discussing today is atheism. Now, that might strike uh, people as odd, uh, but in one sense, we're asking the question because religions deal with worldviews and that kind of thing. Uh, should we think of atheism as a religion? And then we have three standard questions that we're going to work through. What's at the center of what this religion or worldview is? And then secondly, what causes people to adhere to it? And three, how does the gospel speak into that adherence? So that's that's the roadmap for where we're headed. So, Glenn, thanks for coming in. We've had you talk about the new atheism before, and we've talked about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so let me let me start off here. Um, should we think of atheism as a religion? Well, if, if a religion is a worldview perspective, if it's a faith uh, conviction about the world and the way it works, then atheism is a religion. It's mm-hmm. a conviction that uh, the world operates without a, a creator, without a god, and that it's it. That p- adherents of the of the faith position uh, live in in light of that uh, in, the, in light of that conviction. Okay, and and actually, what's odd is is that I'm aware, as I'm sure you are, that there are atheists who have organized their their faith. I'll put it in quotes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in ways and building community and communicating with one another, even meeting together and singing singing hymns. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you yeah. get you get all done with it, and you go uh, you. It, except for the fact that it's not connected to a belief in a God, every, every all the other activity sociologically looks like what you would see yeah. in a church or a synagogue. Yeah, yeah. In fact, friends of mine who are in those communities describe it as very similar to the church experience. And those who were previously active Christians who have made their way there talk about how necessary it is to have. Uh, fellow believers or fellow non-believers, fellow <laughs> adherents of a religious system, mm-hmm. and the there, there's something about the, the 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 structure. There's something about the 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 weekly regular meeting together and talking together, and even hearing what we might call sermons mm-hmm. uh, from from our perspective, and and similar religious practices uh, like evangelism and apologetics. That are that characterize the Christian faith. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I actually find the mirroring almost ironic, mm-hmm. um, and and so. Well, in, in fact, the mirroring might indicate from a from a Christian perspective mm-hmm. how deeply embedded 
belief in God and the practices of the Christian faith are in the world that God has made. Yeah, because what people do even when they abandon him is they still go to all the human features that reflect. So so again, in an ironic kind of way, this inkling of the image of God within us um, still grasping for mm-hmm. things that are related to um, that are related to why God made us. It's an, it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting thought. Inkling uh, might be a pretty mild descriptor. Yeah, that's me. I'm always mild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. would say it's compelling evidence. Okay, uh, there, you there you go. There you go. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about. And I actually think another problem with this particular area is is that actually all kinds of things are meant by atheism mm-hmm. other than raw atheism. Mm-hmm. We've got a big bucket here that yeah. we could be talking about. And I think it's clear that that we need to be aware of the range of uh, of possibilities that we deal with here. So let's let's go there and this is ties into what would normally be the first question in the series which is all right, so what's at the what what makes this category? What does someone who's in this category believe? And one of the things that we're doing in this section is to is actually to help people see when you use a label, it doesn't matter if it's Islam or Judaism or whatever, that actually underneath that label are a lot of variations. You don't you know it isn't one size fits all. So the issue of generalization can be a problem in thinking through this. So let's let's deal with. Atheism, and, I, and I'm thinking about it in its popular sense as opposed to its tech, technical mm-hmm. sense. I mean, we all know what it technically means, yeah. someone who doesn't believe in a god. But, or who doesn't believe there's enough evidence to commit to belief in a god. Okay, so so we've got that, that at the technical level. But in fact, we've got a huge range here of what right. we're talking about. Right. So what would be in that range? Yeah, and I'm this is off the top of my head. I'm yeah. not um, aware of people who have made these kind of classifications, but I would think in terms of a continuum from a militant, committed, evangelistic uh, atheist mm-hmm. who is trying to convince everybody to accept this uh, his his or her strong conviction that there is no God, mm-hmm. um, even to the uh, even to the to the extent of having great confidence about that, most many atheists are a little more agnostic uh, about it because mm-hmm. it, it, it takes a great deal of, of certainty to be able to prove there is no God. Yeah, a little. I mean, I've heard Dawkins <laughs> say maybe exactly mild that. again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the other end of the yeah. continuum are are, are people who uh, haven't really thought much about it, have never really considered. The questions and are living without any recognition, uh, outward recognition of the God who created them. Almost by default. I mean, Almost by default. Yeah, just just without thought. And then and then there's and an, it's similar continuum, by the way, uh-huh. in many other religions too. Right. Yes. And and then there's there's another group that probably technically doesn't belong here, but might operate in similar kinds of ways. And that's the person who we might generalize and, and classify as agnostic. They haven't made a commitment right. in this regard, but they have. Uh, but the, but they're 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 undecided, and so they operate right. in most of their life mm-hmm. as if there is no God. Yeah, yeah. I would put uh, agnostics in on that continuum too. They're, okay, that it's a it's. 
not believing there's enough evidence, too many negatives in there, yeah. but uh, that they're for there to be a God, but operating as if there is no God. Yeah. And, and of course, one of the things that I think is happening in our time with the, with the way in which our culture has become more secularized in general is, is that a lot of people, if they don't have exposure to any kind of religious tradition at all, I don't care what the religion is in, this, in, in making this point, then they, this, is, this, is the, this is the bucket they land in. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of by default. Uh, there was a time in our lifetime when we would think of atheism, because it was such a narrow sliver of the population in America, that uh, we would think of atheism much more in a technical sense than today. Today, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pretty broad continuum of, mm-hmm. of convictions. And I, I think the numbers are showing that this is that this category is growing. At least if you believe the people who talk about the category of the nuns, right. that's N O N E S. Most nuns are not <laughs> exactly right. So, so, uh, um, so yeah. So which is a, it, So it's a growing category, yeah. and, and I think it reflects the as we've said already the secularism that's in our yeah. in our world. Yeah, and that category would include. Every one on that on this continuum I laid out earlier, but it also includes and very uh, disappointingly uh, a number of people who formerly would have identified with another religion such as Christianity, and who've decided they're not there anymore right. um, for any number of reasons. Right, exactly, um, and it's uh, it, so the point here is is that we've got a a wide array of. Uh, of options. It also reflects something else that we've talked about that's probably happened in our lifetime that's an important part of the overall fabric of the way our culture is working these days. And that is, it used to be, I'm going to get your reaction to this. It, uh, my take on what's going on is that uh, it used to be there was a Judeo Christian net around our culture. So it caught people who never actually got too close to the church. Right. Um, it was, there were certain things in our schools and certain things in the culture in general, in the art that we saw and that kind of thing that had these mm-hmm. at least Judeo-Christian values that were in, influencing what was going on. And so you almost you, – you got a it's, – it's like a smallpox vac- mm-hmm. vaccination, you know. You got a little bit, you got a little bit of it in, in your life whether you consciously contracted smallpox or not. That net – for the most part, I think, in our culture, is gone. And so it changes the way, the impact of what happens to someone who just goes through life in America, in particular, we're talking, I think, about what's going on in America, although I think you could apply this to the West in general for sure. Um, uh, and, and so to end up in a, in, a, in a secularized kind of category by default now is a much easier thing to do yeah. than would have been the case um, 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah Christianity was pl- privileged. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I like the way you described it. There was kind of this, the air, it, mm-hmm. it was in the air. Yeah. And church attendance, even though statistically most people weren't in church, but mm-hmm. it, was a, it was such a part of the culture, not just in the, in the Bible Belt, but, but that's gone. Yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, Atheists used to be on the margins. They used to be seen as strange and dangerous people. Uh, but increasingly in a secular world, this is another option. Yeah, it's a new landscape. normal. It's a new normal. Yeah. And that, that Christianity 
no longer privileged uh, and more and more marginalized and, and uh, seen as scary to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, to the culture. So this sets up kind of the transition into the, into the middle portion of this conversation, because I think we're going to spend the bulk of our time dealing with how does Christianity mm-hmm. step into this. Um, and that is, what, what creates adherence? In other words, what, what's the draw? And I think I actually think this is an important question to mm-hmm. think about, because um, there are lots of draws. Yeah, there probably are as many draws as there are spots on this continuum. Mm-hmm. Everywhere from the, the 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 person who's considered the claims of Christianity and finds them, or other religions, and finds them non-compelling, mm-hmm. and chooses to reject them all, mm-hmm. um, to the the person who's been deeply wounded mm-hmm. by. God's failure to respond as he or she thought uh, th- what God should, to woundedness that comes from organized religion, to uh, people who find the claims of naturalism more likely to describe the world as it exists, to – I mean, there's a wide continuum of, of perspectives. That's right, which means that in your con- – in conversations that you would have with someone who, who – Claims to be an atheist or an agnostic. It, uh, this is just core, uh, I yeah. think, general. That you almost need to be able to get a spiritual GPS on where they're coming yeah. from. You can't generalize in such a way that you just go in with a template and say, "I'm going to slap this on top yeah. of you." Which, as you say, is a uh, is generally the case. That's right. That it ought to always be the case as we interact with people that we ought to hear where that person is. We ought to listen to the person. We, ought to, we need to understand the context in which we're having the conversation instead of slapping on a, 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 a response that's generic that fits all, assuming that everybody in a particular position is exactly the same. Because, I mean, not all old white men are exactly like you or me. No, this is very, very true. <laughs> I guess we're both odd. <laughs> <laughs> So um, yeah, so and and I actually this is this is uh, an important point I think because I think that some people in their conversations first and almost from the very beginning and I think that I think the the impulse that we have to to be evangelistic pushes us in this direction mm-hmm. want to get into the role of assessment before we have had yeah. understanding mm-hmm. and. In these conversations, what you want to do first, I think, is kind of get the layout of the land mm-hmm. so you know where to engage and how to engage as opposed to uh, – and develop that and, – and develop some element of, uh, of trust and communication so that then when the harder parts of the conversation come, the difficult parts, the places where you disagree come, you're actually able to negotiate that space a little more uh, of, uh, effectively. Yeah. And we've all been in situations, I know you have, Mm -hmm. where people assume they know what I believe, what you believe, based upon something. And I I just think it's respectful and courteous, and it's it's a virtue to to let the person speak for him or herself and to to learn from them. I mean, I'm always interested in why you believe what you believe and how this works out for you. Mm -hmm. uh, It's easier to talk about how Christianity impacts if we have a, a common ground and understanding 
uh, a place to stand. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and getting a, a reading on where the person is coming from and what drives them actually helps you to understand uh, how to move into those conversations. It, it, I, I tell people, um, this is a pretty standard thing I say now regularly, is to say, you know, when you first move into a relationship and you know someone's in a different spiritual place than you are, you want to do two things. You want to get a spiritual GPS reading on on where that person's coming from and how they how they put their life together. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing you want to do is you want to shut off your heresy meter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and what I mean by that is is that you you don't go into the first parts of those conversations with an every time I hear something I don't agree with theologically and spiritually, I'm going to respond right. and and give the retort. Now, you, you you save it. That's why your God mm-hmm. gave you a mind. But you, mm-hmm. but f- you need that portrait first yeah. uh, of understanding. Because as I've said, you know, sometimes it is a particular experience with the church mm-hmm. that was real and painful and and might have even been abusive yeah. Yeah. that has triggered this. That is going to need some some really uh, hard empathy mm-hmm. in order to be able to to have people work past that. That's become like a phaser shield wall that they've put up mm-hmm. into the conversation yeah. that prevents you from, from getting to them. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard for Christians to conceive <clears throat> of a person who rejects belief in God and it, it actually works for them or appears to work for them. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes uh, we need. We just actually need to hear this person describe and, and talk about what their life is like, and how how what we find so precious and so important to us, and so clear and so compelling mm-hmm. from the from what we believe and, and what Scripture teaches us about God, that there are people for whom that's a real hurdle and a challenge because that the, they don't feel the need. To change what they believe. Now, I don't. I don't know enough about your own personal story to know how this fits. But I did not grow up in a Christian home, and mm-hmm. I was, you know, I, I came to faith in college, so I didn't. So I, if I can say it this way, I know what it is to live life as an agnostic. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I grew up in a Christian home. Okay. I've always been a believer. I don't really. I don't remember any time that I didn't believe, and I, I know there was must have been some point along the way that yeah, God your theology me teaches the you faith, that, right? Yeah. But I have no idea when it was. Yeah. Okay. I, I have no memory of not being a, a Christian. Interesting. So, so which doesn't mean I didn't go through crises of faith along right, the way, right? And challenges. Sure, but but yeah. So I, the point that I'm making is is that I know what it is to be on the other side of that yeah. wall, and I, you know, I used to be the person who would uh, refute the Christian trying to share mm-hmm. with me. I mean, I, I spent much of my high school career doing that, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, uh, and and so I I know what that thinking is is like, um, and, and so and I do think I, I do imagine and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that for a lot of Christians for whom Christianity has been central in their life from the very beginning, I mean their parents had it, and maybe even their grandparents or their great grandparents had it. To to think about an existence yeah. that doesn't have that as part of the equation is just so foreign. Yeah, it's it's completely foreign to me. Yeah. Um, it's it's foreign to my experience, mm-hmm. and it's been really helpful for me to listen to to stories of people from not only from your perspective, mm-hmm. but people who don't have antagonism toward any religion, mm-hmm. but are comfortable. So I'm kind of in the middle of this continuum here, talking right. about people who are not real militant about it, 
um, and who are uh, and who are not wounded, but for whom, through growing up in this kind of a, a an environment, or just have never having considered religion is not a big deal to them. Yeah, I mean, they function in a culture mm-hmm. in which religion is kind of on the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've negotiated the spaces of their life in this kind of a way, and they've, they've managed, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, ups and downs. Life throws sure. you ups and downs, but that's true for anybody. Yeah. And so they sit there and they say, you know, do I need this? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and so they're they're left and they they they've lived in that world and it's in and it's we talked about the new normal earlier it's mm-hmm. their normal life yeah. and it's been their normal life mm-hmm. so I think sometimes when we grow up in the church we don't we don't we don't realize that that thousands of people grow up that way mm-hmm. and and you're actually <laughs> this may sound odd but you're actually when you introduce the topic of religion asking them to create a category mm-hmm. for their lives that they've spent all their life functioning without yeah. Yeah. quite nicely thank you mm-hmm. you know and uh, and so that's where they're coming from mm-hmm. and 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 yet at the same time it is helpful i think to <clears throat> to find some way of of talking about we're all people of faith mm-hmm. and so to believe that there is a god to believe there is no god is those are both faith commitments and mm-hmm. we can we can find common ground there to begin talking about about what faith is and and how we all live in light of what we believe you know and that actually makes for a nice transition into the as i said what you know what causes someone to adhere well sometimes they're reactive Sometimes they have – this has just been where their life has been all along. Uh, you get emotions on top of that. Some people are, are, as you said earlier, almost evangelistic in the mm-hmm. way they go about this. They adhere it, and they're going to proselytize in this direction. Mm-hmm. In some cases, they proselytize in their mind to protect people from the dangers of what they see coming out of religion, and they're pretty mm-hmm. passionate about that. And then other people are just there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, as you've said, they're – they're not. They're not going to push back on the fact that you have a religious faith. In fact, I've heard people in this category say um, to me, um, "I think it's nice mm. that you, you know, have this. It's it's not something that's driven my life, but uh, you know, for you, it seems to work, and that's nice. And yeah. I mean, that. I mean, you, you, I don't know if it's detente, but mm. I mean, it's an interesting place to mm. be. And yeah. and those categories are uh, overlap in mm-hmm. religious. Worlds too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are Christians who have grown up in a in the in the bubble of Christianity and have never really thought much about it. You just kind of accept the beliefs of the people around you. There are some Christians who come to faith in crisis moments, and I mean, all uh, other religions have that those same categories of, of belief too. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com slash audio to learn more. 
Well, the statistics tell us this is a growing category. We were talking earlier about it used to be that you would this was a, a narrow group of people who who were kind of seen and were culturally pushed out as kind of odd, but that's no longer the case, right. is it? No, this is the fastest growing religious conviction in the United States of America, probably 25% mm-hmm. of the population. Mm-hmm. At least who would who would identify as non-religions would check the none box. That's right, and so um, and and it it seems to be growing in a significant way among younger people as well. That mm-hmm. that that yeah. it, it it's the it, it's I'm opting out of this, yeah. um, and yet it's, yet um, it's growing among all segments of the population. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, so it's not just young people, right? The interesting thing is is that I think that it, it kind of what it, it reflects is um, well, the, the way I like to say it is is that one of the things that's happened in our world is is that we're aware of of more choices, right, right. if I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've said the world gets bigger and smaller simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, there are more people. But we also have so much communication about what's going on with all those people that we're in closer connection, being aware of what's going on outside our own world. And yeah. It's, it's harder to live in a bubble. Yeah, in the days of living in a in a town with a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, and two Baptist churches uh, as the only options, the, those days are, are over. All, all kinds of religious practices and religious convictions in, 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 in throughout the country. So, um, so this category is becoming a, a growing category. We've already suggested that some of that might be just by the nature of the default of what's happened in our culture at large. Um, now, let me deal with one other kind of sociological question before we dive into to interaction about with people out of this group, and that is um, uh, the the sociological reality is is that as this group grows and becomes more prevalent um, uh, and becomes less exceptional, uh, the challenges on the church grow mm. um, because I. Uh, I can't assume that I can't assume the net anymore. It's gone, right. and one of the reactions might be, "Well, we've got to get it back." Mm-hmm. Hard to do when you're considerably uh, less in numbers mm-hmm. than the uh, than other religions. I mean, if we're if we're less than twenty percent of evangelicals, mm-hmm. if we're less than twenty percent. It's pretty hard to get back what uh, what was lost. Privilege is over. Yeah, so so that means all kinds of things. I actually I like to tell people that that bothers people. That can they can make them afraid, but I actually like to remind people that's actually where the early church started. Yeah, yeah. I mean they were mm-hmm. when when Jesus had his his twelve and one hundred and twenty, and mm-hmm. you know in the midst of the Greco Roman world and a world of about seventy million, that was a pretty small that's percentage, a, a pretty small group. Yeah, and yet they managed by the way they lived and started out to to. To represent God well, be faithful, and, and have an impact, and so it's not necessarily something we should be afraid of. Right. It, um, uh, Christianity has always thrived uh, because it's true, right? Yeah, powered by God, right? Uh, and it it thrives in a variety of cultural contexts. We're in a new normal um, in, in a in a world certainly never envisioned by the founding fathers. 
but a world of freedom of and freedom from and freedom for and freedom through. Just religion. freedom. Just yeah. freedom. Yeah. That's the, yeah. That is the, you know, that is and the in, mantra of our culture. And in a real sense, Christianity should not be privileged in, the, in, in such a pluralistic worldview. Yeah, in fact, that's the point of inviting people into sacred space mm-hmm. is to say is to say we recognize there's the world and then there's the walk with God and those are not the same thing and you're actually if it were an intrinsic part of the world then you wouldn't need the church right, right. so mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, okay yeah, that we, that we are salt and light in the world uh, certainly indicates that that uh, apart from the salt and light there would be tastelessness and darkness yeah and we're created to be we're, we're created to be countercultural right. and and to be distinctive and and thus by its very nature almost be a minority right um, well that was easy <laughs> <laughs> easier said than done right exactly right uh, um, so so let's turn our attention to engagement now and thinking through and and or whatever word you prefer uh, beyond engagement. But uh, let, let's let's turn to thinking through how do I interact with this this new reality? And I, and I think the first question I want to ask it goes something like this. And, and I'm asking you to speak kind of out of your own experience, which is so you grew up in an environment in which you know Christ and the church has always been a part of your life. And yet you've managed, I know, to develop uh, an understanding of and sensitivities towards an engagement with people whose life experience is the exact opposite mm. of your own. Um, how does that work? Mm. Um, I've learned to listen. Mm-hmm. And, and many people would say, you don't listen enough. But mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've learned to listen mm-hmm. and to try to understand where this person is, uh, wh- what led to this position. And to avoid overgeneralization, as I mentioned earlier, it it frustrates me when people assume because I teach at Dallas Seminary they know what I believe about everything, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I don't want to do that to other people. I want to I want to hear. I, I'm really fascinated to hear people's stories, mm-hmm. how they uh, how they got to where they are, what they believe, how it's working, and to try to find some way in the midst of that listening. To find a some common ground mm-hmm. that that we I mean we all share living mm-hmm. in a in a fallen world in a broken world nothing works the way it's supposed to work we break everything we touch mm-hmm. uh, and yet and and also to find some way to connect the gospel connect what scripture teaches us to this person's life experience and to and to help them to see. That, that God is active and present and working in his world. Now, God's kind of used to working with people who don't understand who he is, right? Uh, he's kind <laughs> of used to working with them. <laughs> or with I us, like, we should say. That's right. Well, that's the point. I mean, I, I, the, I mean anyone who reads Romans 3 understands that God is – this is his, the, the, this is the nature of his laboratory. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, we yeah. all fall short, need God. We all we, we all – have struggled with how to be connected to God, and it's by His goodness and grace that we get connected yeah. to Him to begin with. Mm-hmm. So the idea that someone would be there in and of itself is not surprising. Yeah. I, we said it's the new normal, but actually mm-hmm. the way to think about it is maybe it's the, it's old, the old normal. Normal. Yeah, and there, that adds that leads me to to add an additional component to to recognize that that. Growing up in the in the church, uh, I grew up in a in a Christian community where we 
I picked up that we actually have everything together. We understand everything. Mm-hmm. And and to come to appreciate and, and understand our brokenness too, my brokenness, mm-hmm. and to be able to to confess that and to and to find common ground there mm-hmm. is incredibly important. Yeah, God is at work in all of our lives. I like to say that, that um, one of the best ways to be an effective Christian is to never forget where you came from mm-hmm. and how you absolutely needed God to get there. And never forget where you're going. Exactly right. So it's so it's both elements and the in the 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 important part of that connection is to recognize that that um, everyone's need for God is the same. Right. Whether you whether you're in the faith or out mm-hmm. of the faith, everyone has the same need for God. And so uh, that point of connection, I think, is an is an important part of the conversation. Okay, well, let's let's talk a little bit about more about about engagement. And uh, so I've okay, so I listen. Okay, that's step one. Mm-hmm. I listen, and what am I what am I listening for? Uh, I'm listening for uh, for understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to hear the story, and I'm listening for opportunities to connect what the scripture teaches us to to draw attention to those god moments in a person's life to to and and to begin when you begin to hear stories of how uh what looks from a christian perspective because it is mm-hmm. uh, that god is at work in a person's life whether or not they are aware of it or not mm-hmm. and to be able to see these remarkable these amazing these uh these surprising uh, coincidences that you begin to see a pattern in, in in the way the way lives work. You begin to see, and and I would attribute that to the to the work of God, at least to be able to begin that that conversation. We also see uh, the incredible beauty in the world that God mm-hmm. has made, and uh, to help people recognize that in the complexity of the world that God has created, in the beauty of the world that God has created, his, his fingerprints are everywhere, mm-hmm. or better, his fingers are, are everywhere. Mm-hmm. His fingerprints are evidence of his absence. And mm-hmm. God is present in the world, but when I say fingers, I have to point out that God doesn't actually have fingers. That's a figure of speech, too. Yeah, don't, don't, please. Yeah, I think... You know, I I like there there are simple things that I like to do that kind of can often turn a discussion, at least in an interesting kind of direction. And that is just think about what it takes for life to exist on the earth, mm-hmm. the particular balance of all the factors, the way our atmosphere works, and everything else. And you sit there, and it is a, it is a kind of argument from design, sure. where you sit there and you say. Um, you know, I mean, the, a, a piece of DNA is so complex and so wonderfully woven. And there are, there are, uh, you know, sometimes we think the scientists are the least religious, but there are scientists who are quite committed who yeah. say, if you understand the science and the chemistry of what it takes for DNA and the way it's constructed and for it to way to work, and to think that that's just by accident, yeah, you know. We're we're all people of faith seeking yeah. understanding, right? And so, so that's one place that I, that I like to start. But uh, let me let me go back to something. Let me talk about this idea of building bridges. I want to mm-hmm. give an example mm-hmm. in scripture. It always blows me away in Acts seventeen that Paul starts off his his message at Mars Hill by saying, 
I see that you're very religious in every respect. Now, that term religion, he has a double entendre right, word. Sure. It has a superstition element in it. But he really mm-hmm. is reaching out to them because he goes to the example of the idol to the unknown God, and he says, Here, here's an orientation that you have, and here's a gap in your thinking that I want to dive into. Mm-hmm. And, and he's trying to give them pause and thinking through where they are coming from, that he's mm-hmm. starting from where they are coming from. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that the part of the role of understanding is to is to try and establish points of where the person is coming from that can be fruitful for the direction of a conversation mm-hmm. is that is that what you're looking for oh, as well yeah. um, you mentioned Romans 3 earlier yeah. Yeah. i think acts 17 is paul's exposition of romans 1 mm-hmm. that the the God's eternal power and divine nature are plain and clear and seen and known and understand understood in creation. And so in Acts 17, he he starts where these religious people are, and mm-hmm. then and he tells them a story of the Scripture that mm-hmm. God, who is the Creator of heaven and earth, uh, 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 he he is in charge of everything that happens in His world, even mm-hmm. to the times and places. You so how in the world do you think you can contain Him? Yeah. So yeah. so He doesn't need you. Right. You, right. You He serves us. We don't serve Him. And then He. And uh, and then he's appointed a time of judgment and sent uh, sent his son. That it, that story of creation, fall, and redemption is the story that Paul tells, and it's the story that the Scripture tells, and it's the story we should be telling over and over again. And to find some way to 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 integrate people into that story, that their stories, to to show how their stories fit into that story. And what's most fascinating to me about that is that Paul does that without quoting the Scriptures. Not that quoting the Scripture is unhelpful, right. but he's using biblical language. Right. He's, he's, using the, he's using scriptural language without citing proof He's text. painting a biblical canvas without telling you in parentheses where it's coming from. And, but what he does quote mm-hmm. is pagan poets. Yeah, he's exactly. quoting the, the, the voices, the authorities of uh, the, uh, the people that He's he's quoting the people that they're listening to, right? Which is is also, I think, a very effective way to communicate the truth of the gospel to people to help them see that the the voices of the cultures are are calling out to the God who created us. There are places I like to say this to students on a regular basis. There are places in the cultural language where you see people reaching for that which reflects the fact that they're right. made in the image of yeah, God. Yeah, everywhere. That's right. Yeah. It's all over the place, yeah. and you see the you see it in the longings. It may it may come out in in distorted ways, but it but it but it's there. Yeah, and and they are the basis for conversations that I actually think good art. Yeah. Um, surfaces this in powerful ways. Good music does mm-hmm. the same thing. Lyrics, that kind of thing. Yeah. Love songs are, are are a cry for a transcendent love. Mm. Songs about and descriptions of brokenness and fallenness assume that things shouldn't be this way, or mm-hmm. assume that things could be better. And we're, you know, we're right back in the the story of creation fall. Mm-hmm. We messed it up, but God is at work, even in a fallen world, uh, working redemptively, culminating in a new heaven and new earth. Now, there is one feature of this that that's worth discussing that fits right into where with the topic that we're talking about about atheism, and that is, in the ancient world, it was. It wasn't a non-religious world, and what I mean by that is, is that there was a belief in transcendent spirits right. that permeated the culture. I mean, I like to tell people 
the in the Greco-Roman world, there were 150 religious holidays every mm-hmm. year. That's a holiday every three days. I'm sitting there saying, we need that calendar, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so, and you and and the cultural expectation is you would you would recognize what those holidays were about, and you would dive into the celebration of what that was about, uh, and it was it portrayed a certain reality. Um, but today. We and thus just complete the picture. So everyone had a sense that they were a creature, mm-hmm. in one sense or another. Okay, and accountable and accountable to whatever those four, however they conceive those forces to be. Right. If they had to be placated or whatever, however many there were, yeah, I got to go to these temples. I make sure I got to cover that area. You know, however that was viewed, uh, they saw that. Now that is something that we can assume today. That's right. Uh, and so we have a different starting point. So you could dive into the – my point is you could dive into the creator-creature relationship through the lens of the Bible. You know, I mean, Acts 17 is saying, how do you talk to someone who doesn't know Genesis from Malachi, mm-hmm. who's ne- who has no idea what that story is at all, doesn't you know any them, of it? You tell them the story. You tell them the story, and you, and you tell them the basics of the story, yeah. which is you're a creature, there's a creator, there's only one creator, and you're accountable to him. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's where it starts. Can't do that today, necessarily. No. no. Uh, well, on the other, I think you can. Okay. I, I think you can tell the story. Um, because I think there is, because of the image of God, mm-hmm. there is a deep-seated conviction or deep-seated – that's probably not the right word uh, – nagging sense mm-hmm. in, in, in every human being that we are the, the, we are not the center of the universe. Right. And that there are certain things about the way the world works that are outside of our control mm-hmm. and that to begin to, to – it does take a great deal of effort to, to help people recognize some sense of a transcendent, some sense of wonder and mystery. Um, and then, I mean, the challenge is to get from that to God, particularly if Paul's right in Romans 1 that the universal response to God's existence is rebellion against him. And suppression. And suppression of yeah. it, which is why it is it is so good. Mm-hmm. And so comforting and encouraging to know that uh, it, that nobody accepts the things of the spirit except through the spirit. So the spirit, the spirit is the one who leads a person to understanding. It's the spirit of the one, is the one who makes it possible for the the content of this story and the content of the of the gospel and the work of Christ to make an impact in a person's life. We're we're vehicles of that story. We're we're tellers of that story, but we depend upon, we rely upon the spirit to have to to do that work. And I I think in a real sense it is it, it, it it's it's a man, it's a function of the, of life in this culture that we are becoming more and more aware of our dependence upon the Spirit's work in our evangelism and apologetics. Yeah, I I, I agree with you, and I, I don't think I can reinforce this enough. I mean, uh, I often say to people, our responsibility is to be faithful in telling the story. Right. We are not responsible for the results. That's above our pay grade. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, and we've come out of an era, at least this is my observation, mm-hmm. we've come out of an era where the um, the power 
the conviction was that the power was in the in what we do, and mm-hmm. we can convince people. We can provide evidence. We so just we get can, the right method yeah. and the right details. We'll be in good shape. Yeah. So we, we I mean, we created a a set of templates which we then tried to apply in different situations. We're now in a in a much more, I th- I think a. a much more aware of the diversity, uh, and so we're right back to where we started. To it's much more fluid uh, and requiring discernment uh, and judgment, which is why the understanding piece of the initial part of the conversation is so mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. But uh, but there's a sense in which you realize that that there is, yes, there's there's evidence that's out there for the Christian faith, but there still is a faith step. Yeah, and. I come right back to Romans 1 again. There, mm-hmm. there is evidence that demands a verdict, mm-hmm. and the verdict is universal rejection. Mm-hmm. So what then is the the transition? What's the change? How, how does a person who is closed to the gospel, how does a person who walks through life with eyes wide shut, how does a person who refuses to acknowledge the, the clear and compelling evidence of the Creator, how does that person move to... Uh, to become a person of faith, it's a it's the wonder and the miracle of conversion mm-hmm. that that uh, that somehow something happens, and there are all kinds of ways that happens. That this person then comes to be a person of faith and has a new starting point, has a new place to stand, has a new a new story that that they're now part of, and that that's the other part of of this engagement that I think is so important. Not only do we need to hear others' stories, but we need to tell our stories. And your story will connect with people, in with some people, mm-hmm. in a way that mine never will. And mm-hmm. mine will connect with some people exactly. in a way that yours never will. And that somehow God brings us together with people where those stories intersect and overlap and connect to the to the grand story of uh, of creation, fall, and redemption. And of course, as we've suggested already, that you're talking about connecting in a you're you're talking about creating a category for people that they've spent much of their life functioning without, yeah, right? Which which is just awkward. Yeah, I mean it yeah. it is, the, and, and and so it you means. But it's awkward both ways. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. and and it requires an element of patience about the whole enterprise mm-hmm. uh, the, at a relational level mm-hmm. that I think we have to be prepared for. Yeah, yeah we're we're not marketers. Yeah, we're um, we don't have a sales pitch. Right, we're, we're human beings who interact with another human being <clears throat> created in the image of God. So this is this is. A very um, significant manifestation of what it means to believe that human beings are God's imagers. Well, Glenn, thank you for coming in and talking about uh, atheism and agnosticism and nuns with us and just uh, helping us think through uh, how we engage in, in kind of the variety of what we're dealing with. We uh, This is an important conversation. There are more and more people who belong in this category, and it, it really is requiring the church to think about how they do evangelism in in categories that are with people that they're not used to interacting with. So I thank you for coming in and being a part of this today. Thank you, Jeremy. And we thank you for being a part of the table and hope that you'll be back again with us soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?